0: Remember, it's always better to wait a little longer on a decision than to be filled with so much regret later. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're not sure? You always go to the Lord. You always go to the Lord. Jacob, he hasn't seen his his son who he thought was dead for some 23 years now. But what was God's will? And he was willing to put God's will first. That's why he's praying and offering sacrifices. I wonder how many huge sacrifices Monumental mistakes you and me could avoid, how many hardships we could miss, how many disasters we could steer away from if we would only seek God's wisdom and will. Before we moved on with our choice, before we made financial commitments, before we signed on the dotted line, before we said yes to a job, before we got into an ungodly relationship, before we come into some partnership or business opportunity with someone else. The Bible tells us in James 4.13, come now. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while, then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, then we will live and also do this or that. We should always be praying, Lord, what is your will? I mean, this looks good on the outside. It sounds promising to the ear, but God, what is your will? Because you know tomorrow, you know six months from now. Yes, we should always seek the Lord's will before we make any hasty decisions. How is it that we always have time to pray after we make the huge mistake, yet we never seem to have enough time to pray before we make the huge mistake. Why is that? Yes, as Jacob prayed, as he sought the Lord, the Lord appeared to him, confirming with him in his presence, telling Jacob, do not fear, because God has not given us A spirit of fear. Hey, through all this COVID and everything, how many people were just beside themselves, freaked out, but here we are a year later, we're we're still here. I mean, it's just like all that fear. Think about all the fear you had, and it's like, where did it get you? Here we are, we're still here, we're still moving on. If you're filled with fear about any aspect of your life, then that's a good reason to just stop, drop, and pray. Then you can hurry up and wait upon the Lord. We should always hurry to wait upon the Lord. Remember, it's always better to wait a little longer on a decision than to be filled with so much regret later. Yes, the deal that sounds so good to be true is probably just that, too good to be true. Never rush in before praying thoroughly. It's always best to hurry up again and wait on the Lord. Yes, God promised to go down to Egypt with Jacob. And that was all confirmation That Jacob needed. Now his heart is filled. He's like, okay, I know this is a go. This is a green light from the Lord. So Jacob rose up with great confidence with all of his sons and his grandsons, his granddaughters and grandchildren, and they all moved to Egypt. He goes on in this chapter in verse eight to 27, naming everyone that came with him. Now, why did they do that? We get into these things in this name and that name, and we're like, oh, this is just worthless reading. The Bible, you have to understand, is a very detailed uh, in keeping genealogies. Now, again, I agree, this makes for boring reading when you hit those chapters of genealogy, but it is key for keeping dates, keeping times, and keeping bloodlines. Let's remember, the Bible is not a fairy tale. It's a historical document. Verse 26 says that there were 66 people that came with Jacob. Jacob making it 67. Then in verse 27, it says that there were 70 people from Jacob. This includes Joseph and his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, who were born in Egypt. Now that's noted in verse 20. Just as a side note for you Bible students out there, the number 70, which is first seen here, seems to play a role in the nation of Israel. It appears that God established the first 70 nations in Genesis 10. It was going to be tied with this number of the sons of Israel, who is Jacob. Okay, so this is spoken in Deuteronomy thirty two eight. Then we see seventy elders in Numbers eleven sixteen. We see seventy years of captivity in Second Chronicles thirty-six twenty-one. We see seventy weeks in Daniel nine twenty four where sixty-nine of those weeks has already happened and we're waiting for the seventieth week, which will be the seven year tribulation period, which could begin at any moment as soon as the rapture happens. The seven-year tribulation period will begin, and that will be the 70th week fulfillment of what Daniel prophesied in Daniel 9. There were 70 translators of the Septuagint. That's the Old Testament translated into Greek. There were 70 members of the Sanhedrin in Christ's day that was the highest court of leaders that ran Israel. And then there were 70 witnesses that Jesus called to go out and preach the gospel in Luke 10. So for some reason, God likes this number 70. And here we have it established here in Genesis, which brings up our second point, a blessed reunion. Let's read about this reunion here. So picking up again in Genesis 46, we'll pick up in verse 29. It says, Joseph prepared his chariot and he went up to Goshen. Now again, remember, it's been 23 years since he's seen his dad to meet his father Israel. And as soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and he wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, now, just let me die since I have seen your face that you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers in my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And let's remember. Joseph. Man, he is like the second most powerful guy in Egypt. He is like everyone's favorite because why? He has spared this entire nation of starvation because of his great wisdom during this famine. So everyone loves Joseph. So he's going to go and talk to Pharaoh and says, and my brothers have come. So verse 32, and the men are shepherds and they have been keepers of the livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and they and they have come here now when Pharaoh calls you and says what is your occupation you shall say your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now both we and our fathers that you may live in the land of Goshen which is going to be separated from Egypt for every shepherd is low to the Egyptians like they hate shepherds let's drop down now to Genesis 47 verse 1 because we want to get this all in context then Joseph went in he told Pharaoh and said my father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come down here to the land of Canaan behold they are in the land of Goshen Now drop down to verse 5 of chapter 47. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen, which was very lush and well-watered, by the way. He says, and if you know any capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Verse 7, then Joseph brought his father, Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Wow, okay, that's a lot of text, so let's pull it apart here. I wonder how many times that Joseph, the, a young man, this young man cried himself to sleep being ripped away from his family because of his wretched brothers who sold him as a slave to Egypt. I wonder how many times he was wondering if he would ever see his father again. Joseph loved his father, Jacob. And of course, his father, Jacob, loved Joseph. It's like Joseph was the firstborn from the only woman that Jacob really loved. And that was Rachel, of course. Yes, Jacob favored him over all of his other children. And now we have a blessed reunion. It's happened. And in verse 29, Joseph fell on his father's neck and he wept there for a long time. You just wonder how much hurt and pain was just coming out in those tears. This word weep here in the Hebrew language means he wailed with many tears. Again, we can only imagine. He's been separated from his father for 23 years. We never know how much we love someone until we're separated from those people. Many times distance will make the heart grow fonder. Then Joseph gives his brothers pointers on talking to Pharaoh. Understand, in the Egyptian culture, Shepherds were considered rejects of society. They were thought of as a little lower life form, yet keeping them separated from the mainstream of Egyptian pop culture and lifestyle would play a key role in protecting Israel from intermingling and becoming like The Egyptians, God wanted to keep them separated. So this entire land of Goshen was given to them. There was like a gulf between them and Egypt so they could set up their own culture. Yes, they didn't want to lose their unique relationship with the living God. God told Jacob back in chapter 46, verse three, that God would make them a great nation there. Then he would bring them back out. So I'm going to bring you back out. That was the plan. And of course, we know that he would do that, but it would be some 430 years later, which is in a future Bible study. We'll get to that another time. But anyway, after they were turned into slaves, that's going to happen, and God would deliver them through Moses, as you know. But again, that's many generations to come. But for now, right now, because of Joseph, The red carpet is being laid out for them. And Pharaoh, instead of treating them like the scum of the earth, they are treated as royalty. And again, why is that? This was all earned through the integrity of Joseph. That whole opening monologue, talking about integrity, that's what Joseph had through his honesty His uprightness, his wisdom, and his hard work, work that was not measured in a day or a week, but rather it was measured over a period of several years during the glory years of Egypt, which led to what God had predicted, the worst famine that anyone had ever seen. And God raised up Joseph to not only save his own family, his father Jacob, his brothers, his sisters, his you know, all of his nieces and nephews, their wives, all of that. It's like not only did he save his entire family, but he also saved, you know, this whole land of Egypt. And during Joseph's time as the second most powerful man in Egypt, right under Pharaoh, he did it with a consistent day in and day out. Lifestyle of integrity. That's why everyone in Egypt loved Joseph. Everyone loved him. So when his family came, roll out the red carpet. That's why Pharaoh, when he sent all the brand new wagons to go get Jacob and his whole family, he says, Hey, bring your family, but don't worry about your pots and pans. Don't worry about those nasty old sweatpants. We're going to provide everything new for you. Leave that 60s couch with the big floral print on it. Just leave that there. You know, your little shack carpets and all that. We got brand new stuff for you here. Yes, it was all through that lifestyle of integrity that Joseph had lived. It never ceases to amaze me how lazy some people can be. People that have a mentality at work that says this. What is the least amount of work I can do and still keep my job? It amazes me with these people, especially now with all the COVID benefits. There are many who would rather just stay home and keep collecting the benefits than go back to work. Know this, I'm going to step on some toes now. If you're a Christian and you're milking the system, you're in sin before God. How about that? If you're able to get back to work, then get back to work. Don't milk the system because it puts it out there for you. You need to work hard. Joseph was a hard worker, and because of that, God blessed him, which brings up our third and final point a faithful God. Let's read here in chapter 47, picking up in verse 13, it says, now there was no food found in the land. That's how bad the famine was. But you remember, for those of you that missed the earlier studies, there were seven years of abundance and then seven years of horrible famine. We're about halfway through the famine right now. But In those seven years of abundance, because God gave Joseph favor, he stockpiled the food and just huge granaries that he stockpiled for seven years. And now they're living off of the stockpile that he had gathered in those seven years. So it says here, there's no food in the land except the stockpile, of course, because the famine was so severe. And the land of Canaan languished because of the famine, meaning it just completely swallowed itself up. Joseph, in verse 14, gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they had bought. And Joseph brought all the money to Pharaoh's house. That means he sold everything. I mean, people sold everything they had to buy food, and he took all that money, gave it to Pharaoh. Verse 15, when the money was all spent, meaning it's all gone in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, he says, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is all gone. Then Joseph said, well, give me your livestock then. And I will give you food. Your livestock, since your money is gone. So then they brought all the livestock to Joseph. And Joseph gave them all the food in exchange for their horses and their flocks and their herds and their donkeys. And he fed them with food in exchange for their livestock that year. Then he just continues on and he took all their land. I mean, he ended up taking everything from everyone. But you had food and you lived. So Joseph, he was a mastermind. Look at what a businessman he was. First, he brings in all the money that he takes in. Then he takes all the animals in exchange for food. Then he takes all the people's labor for food. Then he takes all their land. God blessed Jacob with great wisdom. Now, Pharaoh has all the riches of the known world and nobody dies of starvation. Plus, the nation of Israel is blessed and is flourishing in verse 27. And we know that 430 years later, there's some two to three million people that come out of that original 70. Isn't that amazing? So unbelievable what God does here. Now look at what happens to those who will simply walk with integrity. Let's pull all this back together. Why did we start with integrity? We're gonna end with integrity. Let's just look at what happens to those who, who make a decision. So again, it doesn't matter what side of the tracks you came from. It doesn't matter if you are a total scumbag before you came to Christ or you were a good person, you drove a Prius, and you, you had a small carbon footprint, you know. It's like all I can say if you drove a Prius is get out of the fast lane, okay? That's all I want to say, okay? That's it, that's it. With all of that said, whether you were a good person or a bad person when you came to Christ, but now you're a Christian, you should walk with integrity, you know, and here's the blessings of God that will follow you. Proverbs 12:24 says, "The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor." Do you hear that? You know, God will give you rule when you work with diligence. Proverbs 13:11 says, "Wealth obtained by fraud Dwindles, Meaning, if you rip people off, your wealth that you gain in ripping people off, it'll all dwindle. But the one who gathers by labor increases it. Meaning, when you're a hard worker, you will end up having more in the end than the guy who rips people off. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat getting back to what we were saying earlier. If you're milking the system, stop milking the system. Get back to work. God says, you need to work. Verse 11, for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons are commanded and exhorted in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Wow. Praise the Lord. You know, when they first came out with welfare and all that, you know, back in the thirties and forties and fifties and everything, you know, that most Americans would not take welfare. They would lose their job. They would not take welfare because there was an integrity that was in the culture in our society. Now it's kind of like, well, hold on It's like, Well, how much more are my benefits? Oh, I got six more months worth of benefits. Well, I'm not going to look for a job for six months. It's like, we have borne a bunch of slackers in this country. But now as we end here today, I wonder where you stand with the Lord. Are you walking with him in integrity? Or have you slipped away from that? See, this is what this whole study comes down to. Where are you at with the Lord today? You know, are you becoming that person that God wants you to be? Or are you just, you know, uh, mimicking the culture that we live in? It's a big question. So God wants this to be a new day for each and every one of us, a fresh day. Because it doesn't really matter what you've done at this point, right? Because you can't change what happened last week and the week before. It's like, but you can change where you move forward from right now. Amen? Father, we just come before you, Lord. We thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord. And uh, God, I recognize that, you know, we have a lot of people watching online, Lord, and we just pray, Father, that right now you would convict the heart of every person who's listening to this message. Maybe there's some that you've never really come into a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you've never really made it personal. You don't know that your sin is forgiven. You don't know if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. Well, you need to come to Christ. Or maybe there's some here that you have made a commitment to Christ. But to be quite honest, and maybe even after hearing a message like this, you're thinking, I don't know really how well I'm walking with him. In fact, maybe you would even find yourself as a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. You've kind of distanced yourself and you've allowed many things that are not right to happen in your life right now. Well, here's some good news. You can come home. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden and burdened down. And I'll give you rest. He says, repent therefore and and return to the Lord so your sins may be forgiven in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And if you're here today and you need to get right with the Lord and you need a time of refreshing to, to refresh you, to renew you, then you come to Christ now.
1: Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to PO Box 34789, Los Angeles, California 90034.